0: and a very good afternoon on this thursday it is april the 22nd happy earth day it's earth day today and doug ford the premier he's been found he has emerged here on this earth day and he has spoken for the first time since that press conference nearly a week ago that caused so much controversy and i don't know if the premier i don't know if he was listening to us listening to the show yesterday or not But he pretty much took the advice of our communications expert, uh, Randy Rahamim. We were talking to Randy uh, yesterday about whether it would be best for the premier to maybe get in front of the cameras sooner rather than later. That the clock is uh, really ticking here. There's been a lot of calls for the premier's uh, resignation and the fact that we have not heard anything from him since uh, Friday. So would it be better for him to get in front of those cameras immediately? And lo and behold... We had an address, we had a press conference at 10 a.m. this morning. Now, I'm not sure when the last time was that the premier, Premier Ford spoke that early, because usually it's right around now, right around now that we usually get to a press conference. And as well, he also also took another piece of our, our advice from yesterday and apologized. Have a listen. And what reason? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we acted... Uh too quick on on the on the uh measures. All I hear is limit mobility, limit mobility. And uh we we uh move too quick. But anytime, you know, if I make a mistake, I correct it immediately, which we did on the weekend. All right, that is Doug Ford commenting on those enhanced police powers that were announced on a Friday and then walked back uh, immediately the next day on a Saturday. Uh, was asked about that during the and uh, QA portion. And, of course, also a walk back of the closure of uh, outdoor playgrounds uh, for kids. And, uh, Mary, we were talking about this uh, yesterday, about the strength of an apology and that it doesn't have to or shouldn't be seen uh, as a weakness. That, uh, you know, we all don't get everything right all the time. And uh, as you just heard there, we we did get an apology and I'm sorry from uh, Ford earlier today.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I'm glad to hear that the Premier is listening to this show and uh, taking advice from you and from our uh, communication uh, pros. I'm more worried than
0: show. ever now. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, you know, absolutely. And I've said that for a long time that, you know, it's always a sign of strength when a politician, especially or a leader, can say, I'm sorry. What we need next, what the next step has to be, is to see those changes, not just backstepping, but actual changes. And we're, we're still looking for some of those. We're still looking for an answer to to sick days which is one of the big questions that keeps coming up and i think the thing that struck me the most about this 10 a.m presser today was the emotion the emotion from the premier and the emotion from the reporters asking all the q a as well
0: yeah it was very emotional at times uh, earlier this morning and this is maybe would you agree with this maybe the most emotional we have seen uh, doug ford since this whole thing since the pandemic began
1: Absolutely. And I think if you think about just an individual, a human being in uh, isolation because they have been around somebody who's had COVID, there's also that personal humanity as well that's at play, regardless of who you are, regardless of who you're leading. So, you know, I I hope that... uh, Everything will will work out for the province and certainly for the premier, but we need to see some decisive changes made to change the course of what's going on right now.
0: And that was the other part of the puzzle that we talked about yesterday, and I'm not so sure we got that from the premier earlier, was this uh, plan, some uh, metrics uh, to flatten the curve to get these COVID numbers down. That was something that uh, Randy was uh, advising yesterday as well, that we need a real definitive plan based on science, based on uh, numbers. And by the way, Randy Rahamim, our crisis communications uh, expert, she is going to join us once again today. She's going to break down the entire press conference for us coming up just after 2 o'clock, about an hour from now. So hang on for that. Right now, joining us for an update when it comes to the city and COVID is Toronto's deputy mayor. Stephen Halliday is on the line and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Mr. Halliday, good afternoon. Nice to have you back on.
2: Thank you. Good afternoon, Jeff.
0: Okay, uh, Premiers, we were just uh, talking, apologizing, saying we got it wrong when it came to uh, policing uh, last week, uh, yet we hear the City of Toronto is about to step up some uh, enforcement when it comes to police and COVID. Can you tell us uh, how and what's planned?
2: Yeah, I I, uh, I know that's been out in the media. Um, the police are creating some dedicated enforcement teams in each of the divisions so that they're ready to respond to what it we'll probably will be inevitable as the weather begins to turn, <laughs> as I look outside, I see snow coming down. But, but we know that very soon um, the weather will be nicer. People will be tempted to gather at things like barbecues or maybe even other places like in parks. And, um, you know, people will need to be dispersed if those things occur. So having an organization and a structure in place shows that the police are ready and serious about this. Uh, it shows that, you know, the government at large is, is serious about I- its orders. And, you know, and that is one important thing, right? It, it's great to make a bunch of rules, but if you're not ready to enforce them, you know, what's the point? Um, so, you know, I think the message has been put out there is a valuable one that uh, the people are prepared to react. And I get these calls all the time from from people in neighborhoods. They say, hey, councillor, you know, there's some, some kids playing soccer over in the field. They're not supposed to do that. Or uh, my neighbour is doing such and such. And. We refer those things over to enforcement, but it speaks to sort of public confidence in the government. And I think people truly get upset when they've been playing by the rules in their own household, but they see somebody else breaking them. And you see a lot of these calls go in to try to report this type of behavior and stop it because people see the larger impact on society and on COVID.
0: All right, this new enforcement, these new enforcement teams are set to launch, we understand, at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Are they going to be reactive, do you know, Mr. Halliday? Are they just going to be responding to uh, complaints, or are they going to be out there being uh, active?
2: So I I don't have those particular details, but I would say that, you know, just based on my knowledge, uh, where I sit as a counselor and the things I hear about, there's plenty of complaints that go in to keep anyone busy at any given time. And I, I, I should say it's not that nobody's been doing any enforcement at all. Um, most certainly the police are involved in these types of things, as are the municipal bylaw officers who have been very busy over the last year. So much so they're not looking at typical things, but they're, they're dealing with issues like stuff going on in parks. So I think this is just a next generation of organization on how they will respond to calls.
0: And do you know whether or not they're going to be writing more uh, tickets, uh, finding more uh, individuals for breaking these public health uh, guidelines? Or is this going to be more just breaking up uh, gatherings, uh, warnings and a bit of an education campaign?
2: You know, I think I think time will tell, uh, but I think it also will really depend on how people treat this Um, and you know i think the government at large will be in a situation of people continuously breaking the rules the government is going to be challenged in general just making sure that that there is meaningful enforcement so i guess it could include those types of things but We'll see how the police play it. I think there's a lot of care being given that nobody wants to be heavy-handed, um, especially what we saw over the weekend, right? With uh, with reaction to some of the rules that that were put in place by the uh, by the provincial government, and ultimately ended up being maybe a little bit much for what we're seeing right now.
0: Well, that was my final question on this issue for you. Uh, with that as a, a backdrop, uh, are you a concern that uh, we might see some, uh, for lack of a better description, over policing?
2: Well, you know, I, I think everyone is sensitive. I think police understand their jobs. Um, but you need somebody there when you have a, a group of people at a bonfire in a park and maybe drinking going on, right? And these are situations where the virus can be passed, and you need to have the right level of response for that. So I commend them for being organized ahead, uh, and I, I, I look forward to how, seeing how they, how they play this and use their abilities.
0: All right. In the meantime, Toronto's top doctor, Dr. Eileen Davila, said yesterday that we are, quote, at a serious point in the pandemic for the city. Could you update us at all on uh, hospitalizations, ICU capacity? Uh, Where are we sitting here this afternoon?
2: Yeah, uh, as we speak here, I'm going to see if I can pull up the city's dashboard. Um, We do track this stuff even right within the city of Toronto. uh, I, what I remember right now at the top of my head is that they're all red flags on our, city's da- on, our, on our dashboard and that the ICU capacity is stretched, the critical care bed is, uh, capacity is stretched, and I think that's a, a reflection of what we're seeing uh, in the news about what's happening all over the province. The key thing to remember about this is, this is one element we've been trying to protect throughout the entire pandemic is the capacity of the hospital system. It's not just the COVID victims that are in there, but it's other people that through their everyday life could be in a car crash, could have a heart attack or a stroke. And somebody that may never have had the virus could potentially become a victim of COVID if there isn't an ICU bed for them to be cared about, so uh, to be cared for in. So that's why we're worried about all of this The other dimension is, of course, we're seeing the numbers surge, but the ICU capacity is a lagging indicator, right? It takes a couple of weeks before somebody gets infected to present the virus, then you count them, and then it could be a couple of more weeks before they show up in an ICU and fill that bed up for several weeks thereafter. So I think what Dr. Davila is telling us is that the the numbers are growing in a scary way today, but the, the ICUs are going to be stressed for a very long time thereafter, even today, even if we change our course today.
0: All right, so we have ICU capacities uh, continuing to grow in hospitalizations. We have police stepping up enforcement in the city as of 5 o'clock this afternoon, and we also have word today that the city is going to uh, step it up when it comes to uh, vaccines, that uh, we're going to triple vaccine doses in hot spots. What can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, the the city uh, announced a a recent program to try to push uh, more vaccines into the 13 hottest of the hotspots. So to put it in perspective, I'm in Etobicoke Center. I represent kind of like the middle of Etobicoke here. And um, five out of the six postal codes here are hotspots. But even comparing my ward to others, there are still 13 postal code FSEs that are much hotter. And, and so what the city is doing is working with the hospital partners and the Ontario health team, because those are the people that are delivering all of these these pop-up vaccination clinics out in the community. Remember the city's doing the nine mass vaccination clinics we've talked about, but those teams are doing that. And the city is working with them to help organize them in those 13 hottest places. And I think the mayor said it well the other day that, you know, a a vaccine given in in one of those areas can have a larger impact than a vaccine given in another area. So there's a lot of logic and uh, science behind focusing the efforts in these 13 hottest of the hotspots.
0: And is that happening as of right now, or is that a plan for the next day too, or next week?
2: Yeah, you know, I didn't catch the immediate start date, but I'll tell you that they've been working really hard uh, to plan it. Uh, And, you know, like coiling up a spring, they're winding it tight, ready to release. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to be doing this imminently. And the idea I think was a, you know, a, a very big focus over the next two weeks and uh, a focus on particular amounts of vaccine and then i guess the 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 hope is is that we will see larger vaccine supplies in time uh, more deliveries and it means programs like this can get expanded larger and larger and larger
0: all right and i finally wanted to ask you about the spring programs for the city because we also hear that those are now shifting virtually or to online how exactly is that going to work how's it going to work for parents and kids
2: yeah, you know, just just like uh, you would book a regular recreation program, there's an opportunity now to book a, a, a totally online class, um, well over a thousand spots. Uh, there was a little run done over the April slash March break uh, for Camps for Kids, and it was really successful. So people have a chance to go on. There's a, There's a modest registration fee. Um, And they can do all sorts of things from arts classes to uh, Zumba to dance. Uh, And, you know, I was on the site today. Some of them are already sold out on the first day. So they're very popular. And I think we know, um, you know, there's a lot of people looking for things to do to keep themselves engaged. People need this for their mental health. And I'm glad that the city can deliver these type of programs when we can't do it physically because of the restrictions.
0: And do you know, is that going to continue throughout the summer? Will summer programs also uh, be virtual as well, or are we in kind of a wait-and-see mode there?
2: I think it's wait-and-see. I mean, everyone understands there's nothing like getting together in person. I mean, that's so important for your physical health and your mental health. And uh, the city has a lot of experience running very, very large programs. Um, But I think the city is doing the best they can with what we've got. And uh, giving everyone a chance to get out there and do, or, well, not get out, but stay home and do something that's a little different. And we'll see where this goes through the summer. I mean, I got my fingers crossed. I've got youngsters at home that that would be looking forward to uh, city programs. You know, you can't replace swimming virtually, but <laughs> uh, but there's there's hope out there, and there's hope that these vaccines are coming so that we can we can turn the page and get back into a different type of life.
0: All right, Toronto's Deputy Mayor Stephen Halliday with us. Mr. Halliday, appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much.
2: Thank thank you.